I remember when I was about uh, nine or ten years old, uh, my parents would uh, had this group of friends that they got together with. And my mom, uh, she was a little older when she had me. As a matter of fact, I'm, my mom's exactly 30 years older than me, almost just about a week off, and I'm exactly 30 years older than my first child. So it uh, makes for an interesting way to remember. But my mom and my dad, they would hang out with this group of people, some of them married couples, some of them uh, younger, single people. And we would get together, and I remember them playing games, watching movies at each other's houses, that type of thing. And over time, I don't remember kind of who started it, but there kind of became a joke, and maybe because she was, uh, you know, the older, uh, the oldest lady in the group, uh, and probably also because she liked to give advice that maybe they didn't quite want sometimes. But they started to refer to my mom as kind of their mom. They would call her Ma Jan. And if you're a 90s child, right, and you remember the advent of email, that kind of caught on and became her kind of first email address. I don't know, you probably want to forget your first email address, how many, amen, all right? But yeah, so she kind of, that kind of became her, she kind of became the mother of the group. And I, I want to kind of talk about that this morning, and as I was saying that, maybe you were thinking about somebody in your life who maybe wasn't your physical mother, but maybe they were like a mom to you. We all, we could call them church moms, right? We've all got those those ladies in church that kind of uh, pulled us under their wing and kind of cared for us and ministered to us and prayed for us and helped us through. Or maybe somebody in your life, in your neighborhood you grew up in, that their house was just kind of the house to go hang out at and their mom, but that just became like a second mom to you. And so I want to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at a passage in uh, Romans, Romans chapter 16. As you're turning there, we'll kind of set it up a little bit. Romans if you don't know anything about the scriptures, Romans is a letter written to the church at Rome. And it's written by this guy named the Apostle Paul. And he's writing because uh, for several reasons, but one of the main reasons that he's writing is Paul is a missionary. So what he does is he goes to new places where the message of Jesus has never been preached, where there are no believers. He goes to those places and he tries to establish and plant a church. And so he wants to continue doing that, and he wants to do that in Spain. He wants to make his way to Spain. But in order to get there, he's going to need some funds, and he's going to need some support. He's going to need a base of operations. And so he's never been to Rome uh, as he writes this letter to them, but he writes to Rome, uh, this church at Rome, and what he wants to do is he wants to kind of establish with them some rapport. He wants them to know who he is, what he believes, what he's about, and he wants to uh, do that so that he can uh, go, hopefully, to Rome and sort of stay there for a little while and minister to them in hopes of using that as a springboard across to Spain. Because you have to remember, there are no, like, he's not getting on an airplane and flying from Jerusalem or Syria or wherever he is, or Corinth or Ephesus. He's not getting on a plane and flying over to Spain, right? He's got to take a ship. There's different ways to get there. But he's hoping that he can write to this church at Rome and that this church will become kind of a, a workplace so he can move over and begin to minister in Spain. And so at the end of the book, he gives this long list of greetings. As a matter of fact, he mentions about uh, almost 30 people he mentions by name that he says, greet these people. These people have been good workers. These people have been uh, my friends. What he's trying to do there, he wants the church there in Rome to know that he has a personal connection with some of the people in the church. And again, when you think church, like you, you can't think like building and we're all in one place, right? This would have been a network of like house churches that would have met all over the city of Rome. And so maybe they don't quite come in contact with each other the way that we do every single Sunday. And so he writes and there's this list of people 
that he's saying, greet them, let them know I love them, let them know I care about them, uh, I'm so grateful for them. And he sends this so that they'll know that he knows some people that they know. Does that make sense? It's almost like some, some references he's, he's putting down. And in the middle of this greeting is an interesting, uh, just a quick little sentence that I want to focus on this morning. And uh, please stick with me and don't go to sleep as we kind of dive into some of the history to kind of set ourselves up for where we're going. But I'm going to read Romans chapter 16 and verse 13, just one verse. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. It's real short. I'll read it again. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. I want to talk this morning about the subject of everybody needs a mom. And by mom, I'm not meaning a physical mom. I'm talking about everybody needs a mom. Everybody needs someone who's that motherly figure in their life on a spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And I want to look at this passage for a moment. And again, stick with me through some of this historical stuff. I hope not to bore you to sleep during it. So how many of you are history fans? Some of you maybe. All right, we'll try to make it interesting for the rest of you. All right. So who is this woman, right? This woman that Paul says is like a mom to him. Well, the truth is we don't really know. This is all we have on her. This is, this is it. And so we're going to do a little ancestry DNA through the scriptures. Hang with me for a minute. We're going to kind of try and peg down who she might have been. I want to be clear. Uh, they don't know exactly who she is. They don't know exactly uh, the connections we're going to make this morning. It, scholars debate this, but some of them believe uh, what we're going to lay out this morning was, was, was the case. So who is this lady? We don't really know. So that leads us to our next sort of uh, connection to her is who is Rufus? Who is he? And so we can go to uh, Mark chapter 15, and our best guess is that this lady's son, Rufus, is a guy mentioned in Mark chapter 15. So in Mark 15, Jesus is being crucified. And he's walking down uh, the road. He's supposed to be carrying his cross, and they tap uh, a guy, they grab a guy, a bystander, to help him carry his cross. And that guy's name is Simon of Cyrene, and Mark mentions it here in Mark chapter 15 and verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of who? Alexander and Rufus. Now, scholars believe that this Rufus and Paul's Rufus in Romans chapter 16 were probably the same people. Now, why in the world would Mark leave us with that detail of Alexander and Rufus? Why would he tell us this? He's telling us this because Mark is living in Rome, probably when he writes his gospel. And he's writing it. Anybody, if you have Facebook or you're on social media, right? You tag people in your photos. Well, that tells us that, that, they've, you know, that they were there. They were at that event, right? And then if you ever had friends that tag you in the photo and then like, other people get tagged in the photo and you realize like you've got all these connections you didn't know you had before. Anybody ever have that happen? So this would be kind of the first century equivalent of like tagging someone in a photo. What Mark's saying is the guy that's in your church in Rome, Rufus, he was there when Jesus was crucified. He, he's giving them a hint. He's saying if you, if you got questions about the crucifixion, like there's a guy in your house church who you can ask, the, ask some questions about it because he was there. So he's tagging him in this passage, telling us Rufus is, is a guy you can ask questions about that, the crucifixion. But that, that leads us down to another, another little trail here. 
So we've established that this Rufus is probably the same guy from Mark, and that his mom is a mother to Paul, but who would his dad be if this is correct? Then his dad would be Simon of Cyrene. So who is he? Again, we don't have a whole lot of answers, but some scholars think that if you, if you turn over to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 and beginning at verse 1, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So again, this is just our best guess, but we believe that maybe Simon of Cyrene is the same Simon from the passage in Acts chapter 13. Why, why does all of this matter? Let's put it together. So Antioch, where Simon of Cyrene would have been a leader in the church. So he's a leader in the church there with his wife and Rufus. This was one of the places that Paul called kind of his home missionary base. This would have been the place where he, this is the first place where people are called Christians. This is one of the first places to send out missionaries uh, into other parts of the world. This was an important strategic city and a strategic church in the, in the scope of church history. And if this is who Paul is referring to here, this is the place where maybe he would have come after he's on a long missionary journey. He comes back here to Antioch, and maybe he needs a place to stay. And perhaps he stays at the home of Rufus and his mom and of Simon. And maybe... Over time, this became kind of the house that he goes to when he's tired and worn out and weary and kind of needs a place to rest his head. And over time, he developed a relationship with this family. And maybe over meals, as he's talking to this mother and talking to this family, man, this, this, this lady developed a special place in Paul's heart. And maybe this lady becomes like this mother figure to him over time as he spends time at their home. It's possible, again, that he spends a lot of time with his family and that they shared meals. And over time, I can't help but wonder if she gave him motherly advice and maybe she prayed with him and for him. How many times did she encourage him and just sit across the table and just listen to him? And if the great Apostle Paul had women like this in his life, how much more do we need women like that in our lives? How much more do we need ladies like this in our churches who can develop those relationships with those who are younger and with others and be that mother figure to them? And so what does this look like? Because, listen, there are people all around us who are in need of mothers in their lives. There are people all around us who need that spiritual mom, that, that, that person who can stand beside them and, and be there for them. So what does this look like? I want to just lay out three things. First of all, people need someone to listen and pay attention to them. I know it's kind of stereotypical, but uh, they often tell you that like women are better listeners than, than men. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just telling you what they say. They say that, that men, uh, most of the times in marriage, right, the, the lady, she, she pours out her heart. She tells you what's going on. And guys, I, they tell us that we are notorious for just wanting to fix the problem, right? That we listen, we want to fix things. And sometimes women just want us to do what? They just want us to listen. And everybody needs someone in their life who won't try to necessarily just fix their problems, but who will actually listen. 
it's, it's very, again, it's very stereotypical, but sometimes we just need to be listeners. It's often said that listening is an act of love. It's also been said that, that sometimes if you listen to people, li- actually listening and paying attention to people is so rare, if you do it well, people confuse it with love. If you do it well, people confuse it with love. In a world that is distracted, one of the best gifts you can give others is the gift of your ear and your attention. And parents, I'm going to tell you this. Listen, one of the best things you can do is listen to your kids. Just listen. And if you do not learn to listen and do not learn to pay attention, I can tell you this. Someone else will do it for you. And it may not be the person or the people that you want to do it. So learn to give that listening ear. Moms and dads, learn to pay attention. Learn to listen. Learn to be present with your kids. Everybody needs someone in their lives who's present with them, who listens to them, who really cares. There's a recent movie put out about Mr. Rogers, and in it, Tom Hanks plays the character Mr. Rogers. And he's been working with this young man who's been through a lot of problems, and he's on the phone with him, and Mr. Rogers says this. He says, do you know what is, what is most important to me right now? And dumbfounded, the guy on the other end, he remains silent. So Mr. Rogers decides to answer his own question. He says, I'm talking to you. So right now, you are the most important person to me. Our conversation is the most important thing to me right now. Man, those, those are powerful, powerful words that we could all do well to remember. That when we're with people, that there are... There are people uh, in, in our, there are kids in our congregation. There, there, are, there are people all around you that just want someone just to have a listening ear and for, to know that they are the most important thing in the world to you right now at this moment. And so the question is this, is on this Mother's Day, like who, who has done that for you and who can you do that for? So who is it in your life that has just been that listening ear? I would, I would, Almost, I would put my money on this fact that whoever that is is probably one of the most influential people in your life. Because we want, we crave it. We want to be known. We want, to, we want people to listen to us. We want someone to pay attention to us. And we, we're, we're all looking for that. And I would just encourage you, uh, moms and dads, and even if you're not a mom and dad, grandfathers and grandmothers and parents in the room and, and all of us, may we just learn to pay attention and listen to people that there are people that are, that are looking deeply for this. And so I can't help but imagine Paul is sitting around the table in Rufus's home there, and his mom is just listening as Paul shares about his missionary journeys. He, he comes in from maybe a particular hard uh, time as he's been beaten or put in prison or been through something terrible, and he's made it back to Antioch, and he's trying to uh, take a minute and breathe, and he sits there across the table from this mother, and he just begins to share his heart, and she doesn't say a word. All she does is she listens. And I can't help but wonder how what that did to Paul is he's able to process through the things that he'd been through and process through the stuff that he'd just faced. And this mother there is willing to listen to him. Men, we all need moms in our lives, whether that's our physical moms or a spiritual or someone in the church who's willing to listen and, and, and hear what we have to say. So the first thing is this, is people are looking for someone to listen. Secondly, People need someone who's willing to teach them the things of God. People need someone who's willing to teach them the things of God. In Titus chapter 2, Paul says this, that 
Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, you can read a passage like this, and there are some who would say, uh, Paul, man, Paul's a sexist. Like, what's he talking about there? I mean, you, you hear that from people. Paul, Paul had a bad view of women, and he doesn't like women. Listen, I, I would argue that that is right the opposite, that Paul is very, very uh, open to, in his culture and his time towards uh, the role of women in society. But that's a whole different argument for a whole other day, and I'd love to talk to you about it sometime, with you about it sometime if you're interested. But what I, what I don't want us to do is sometimes we can read passages like this and we can get hung up on a few phrases and miss the point. Like, what's the point? The point is younger women need some older people in their lives who are willing to invest and teach them how to be godly. That's the point. And the point is this, is that in our church, man, we need people who are willing to pour into the next generation, who are willing to give of themselves, who are willing to share of themselves so that the, the younger generation can catch it and can live a godly life. We, we need people who are willing. In Proverbs 31, which is the famous, right, kind of like what you expect to hear on Mother's Day, we're going to talk about how to be a Proverbs 31 woman, right? But Proverbs 31 is not really about, like, how to be a perfect woman. That's, that's not what Proverbs 31 is about. We're not going to read it because it's, it's, it's lengthy, but I would encourage you to read it when you, when you get home. It's a good, good practice to do it on Mother's Day. But it's really a, a poem, a letter from a mom to her son, and it is this advice that she's giving him. And she's trying to teach him like how, how to navigate the world. It's this letter to her, and her son happens to be kind of a king. That, that it's a, it's a, he's a king, and so the, the mom's writing to this king who's ruling this nation, and she's trying to give him advice. And so she writes, what, 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 what does she tell him? Well, she tells him, first of all, to guard his heart. She teaches him and tells him, guard his heart. That there are things that are going to want to come into your life and my life and wreck our lives, and we've got to be careful what we put into our hearts. Guard our hearts. Secondly, she teaches him to control his appetites. She tells him, don't, don't like wine too much. Like, don't, don't drink too much. And so, so she's telling him, be self-controlled. Don't get crazy and act stupid and get into all this stuff and become addicted to things and, and, and keep, your, keep yourself in control. Control yourself. And then she, she tells him this. She teaches him to fight for the less fortunate, to care about the poor, to care about the needy, to care about the broken. And then she gets into the passage that we talk about every Mother's Day, and she says, when you're going to go pick a wife, here's what to look for. Here's, here are the things that you need to be careful with. Because if you pick the wrong spouse, man, that can change the whole trajectory of your life. So she tells him, it's an important choice who you pick to marry, and you need to pick the right person. And then she closes with telling him this, that we need to fear, you need to be a person who fears the Lord. Man, this is, this is good advice. We, we could just take that and say, man, we want to instill that in the people we come in contact with. That we need to be people who guard our hearts. That we need to be people who fear the Lord. That we need to be people of self-control, who care about those that are down and out. That we need to be people who make good decisions and who we connect our lives to. Like, this is good advice, and these are the things that ought to be taught to those who are younger around us. But we must do so with humility and gentleness. Listen, so there's, a, there's a gap between older and younger. And it seems to be widening, and it has been widening for a long while. 
And it's almost like we live on different planets and we talk a different language. I don't know if you've, some of you that have grandkids, you're like listening to them talking, like what are they, like what are they saying? Like I know they're speaking English, but I'm not sure what they're talking about, right? And, and younger people, it, it goes the other way. Younger people are like, well, I mean, I said something the other day, I can't remember what it was, but I said something to someone and they were like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're supposed to, and they're like, what? Like you're old, dude. Like, I'm like, no, okay. Uh, but yeah, so, so there seems to be this, this gap sometimes, and sometimes it's easy for us to sort of stay apart from each other and ignore each other. But we ought not to do that. But what it takes for us to come together is this. We've got to teach and treat each other with humility and with gentleness. Amen. We love to quote the passage in, in Peter, in the letter, uh, 1 Peter, which tells us this, to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have within you. And we, we love that verse. But the rest of the verse says this, but do this with gentleness and respect. I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes, those of you who are older in the room, you're trying to get a message through to someone who's younger, and it's like they don't want to hear it. But I want to tell you this. Like, if, if we don't treat them with gentleness and respect and with humility, and we don't act like we actually like them or want to be around them, why would they listen to us? I mean, just, just saying. You don't want to listen to people who act like they don't want to be around you sometimes. Let's just be honest. And we, we have to learn that we, like people, the old saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it, it's, true, it's true in both directions. Like we have to get back to treating each other with gentleness and with respect and actually caring about one another. Parents, you want to know, I read a study some, some years ago about how do, how do you keep your kids in church? Like what, how do you keep them uh, involved in church after they become adults? And you know what one of the number one things that keeps your kid in church after they become adults? It's not taking them to church. It's not preaching at them. It's not reading the Bible with them. It's none of those things. It's doing fun things with them. And that sounds like, what? No, because what happens is they actually know that you love them and that you like them and that you want to be with them and then they'll listen to the other stuff that you say. It sounds like, we're kind of like shocked by it, but it's just, it's the way human nature works, right? If your kids know that you love them because you spend time with them and you do things with them and you care for them, they'll be willing to listen to what you have to say over here and they're more likely to go, hmm, like maybe I should listen because, man, they, they love me and they're actually showing it by spending time with me. And I, I would tell you this, that, that we need to develop these relationships across generations, where maybe it starts with just a hi or a hello in the hallway, hi, what's your name, and it moves to maybe a meal, because good things happen over good food, can I get an amen, amen. right? And maybe it moves to a meal, but we have to get out of our own bubble and with gentleness and respect learn to listen to other people and learn to navigate these waters. If we're going to do what Scripture tells us to do, we're older women, teach younger women, older men, teach younger men. If we're going to make those connections, we have to both sides come at it with humility, with gentleness, with grace, with understanding. And we have to actually act like we like each other and get along with and love each other, right? And sometimes that takes some time, but we have to develop these things. And, and again, we have to teach with words and with example. We can't just talk it. We've got to live it out. And we think again of Paul, this great theologian. He's a great, he's the writer of most of the New Testament. But even the great apostle needs teachers, mentors, and people in his life who help him. And I can't help. Again, this is just speculation. 
But I can't help but wonder if as he's watching Rufus's mom, as he's interacting with her and he's seeing uh, what God's doing in her life and as she's listening and modeling it, how she interacts in her home and as she's talking to him, I can't help but wonder how did the Holy Spirit use that woman to influence what Paul wrote to us in the New Testament? You ever think about that? How did the Holy Spirit work through the light, that example, that life that he's watching day in and day out in that home, the interactions he had with this lady? How did the Holy Spirit use her example to influence what he writes to us today? I think, I think that the Holy Spirit used, used it. I, I think that as he's watching this godly woman, and he's watching how, how the Lord's working in her life, and he's watching how the Holy Spirit's working in her life, and as he's interacting with her and, and maybe talking, and uh, how, how many of you, like, to get your ideas straight, you kind of got to, like, talk about them? I'm, I'm that type. Like, my, my coworkers probably hate me someday because I'm in their office. I'm like, hey, literally, Greg, probably. I'm just like, hey, and I, but I'm processing. And then I come back a minute later, I'm like, that was really dumb. It was a bad idea. But what I did was I processed through it. And maybe Paul, as he's, as he's figuring out what to write and how to deal with some of these churches that he's dealing with, maybe he asks this lady for advice. I don't know. We, we don't know. Maybe as he's interacting with her, he's processing through, what is it that the Holy Spirit would say to the, the church at Corinth or the, the church at, at Ephesus or the church at Philippi? What, what is it that he wants to say? And maybe he's processing through these things with her as he's penning these, some of these letters. And maybe later on as he writes from, from prison, the things that she teaches him come into his mind and he begins to say, yeah, that make, man, that makes sense. And he starts to pin those down. We don't know, but, but I can say this, that no, there's not a one of us in this room that the Holy Spirit doesn't use other people to impact and influence us. Amen. And so just knowing that, that fact on the ground is I, I think I'm on good ground saying that this lady who Paul calls a mother to him, she had to have had some influence over the, these things. And the Holy Spirit, I, I believe the Holy Spirit used that to inspire him and, and write things down that we now read in the New Testament. And so we need people in our lives, not only who listen, but people who are willing to be those mentors to teach us. And here's the question, who is it that has taught you? You're probably thinking of them right now, that, that Sunday school teacher, that, that youth group leader, that, 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 uh, that pastor, whoever, who is it that's taught you the Word of God? And then the question is this, is who are you teaching? Because it doesn't just go to you, it should come out of you. Who, who is it that's following and watching your example? So we need people in our lives who listen. We need those who teach. And then lastly, we need people to pray for us and with us. Amen. We need people to pray for us and with us. Last year, my, my grandmother pra- passed away. And uh, she was a, a pastor's wife. And she grew up in a pastor's home. My great-grandfather planted churches all over West Tennessee. Uh, and then my grandfather... Uh, planted churches as well all over West Tennessee and and my grandfather passed away When he was in his 40s and my grandmother they were in their 40s and uh, he was preaching a sermon much like this Guy came down to the altar to pray He knelt down to pray with the man and never got back up. He had a massive heart attack died right on the the altar of the church and So from the 40s on into her 80s when she passed away my grandmother has to raise four girls by by herself and so she was a feisty woman as you can imagine and, uh, but she was a praying woman. And I remember going to her home and staying overnight, and she says her prayers every, every evening. And I'd be in the bed with my, my grandmother, and I'd, she'd get out of bed, and she'd kneel on the bed, and she'd start praying. And I, growing up, I always thought, if you're really praying, you have to cry, right? Because she, she, was, she would pray, and she would just weep. 
And she would mention all her daughters and, and all her grandkids and all her uh, great-grandkids as we got to go on. And, and she, would, she would just pour her heart out to God for them every evening, taking everything to God. And there are, there are other people in my life, including my mom, who prayed and were uh, in difficult times. And I could pick up the phone and call her and say, hey, I need you to pray. And she's going to be praying for me. I remember coming in sometimes from uh, coming downstairs from up, you know, getting up in the mornings and there's my mom sitting in a chair praying. Man, we need people like that in our lives who are prayer warriors, who are willing to stand in the gap for us. I have a, one of my best friends, he pastors a church now in, in Tennessee, and when he was in, in his teenage years, he was not such a nice person. You would not want it to have come across him. By 14, 15, Ish, he's uh, not just doing drugs, but selling drugs and dealing drugs and all of this stuff, and had been kicked out of schools and uh, been before the judge. And the judge said, "Hey, buddy, one more time, you come before me, like you're going to big jail, like you're going to prison." And uh, this this was his life. He was addicted to methane, uh, methamphetamines and just crazy and all sorts of things. And his mom just prayed for him just pray. And uh, one day, he goes to church. It happened to be his mom's birthday, I believe it's on Valentine's Day. And his stepdad, who's a little kind of rough, redneck, southern, West Tennessee, comes in. He had come in after a long night of being out partying, kind of doing his thing. His stepdad comes in, smacks him on the back and says, hey boy, going to church. He said, I don't want to go to church. He said, it's your mom's birthday. You're going to do what she wants. Get up. So he goes to church that day and uh, gets saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, life changed. I met him about you know, six months to a year later. Completely different person. Now pastoring a church. Why? Because the prayers of this mother. And we all need people in our lives who are praying for us. And I can imagine, again, we read in Acts where, right, the leadership at Antioch, they gather around Paul and Barnabas and they pray over them to send them off. And I can't help but wonder if this lady was in that group praying for him. And you can't help but wonder if Paul goes on that missionary journey just a little bit bolder, just a little bit, like, with a little more attitude, right? A little bit stronger because he knows that this woman is praying for him back in Antioch. Amen. That, that she's lifting him up in prayer. You can't help but wonder if he can go through, a little, if he could push a little bit further because he knows this woman is praying for him. And so the question again is this, is who, who prayed for you? Was it a mom, a dad, a Sunday school teacher, a leader, a pastor? Who, who was it that prayed you into God's kingdom? And who are you praying for? Who, who is it that you pray for that you believe God's going to do a work in? Because we all need a mom, every one of us. And I'm not talking about just a physically. We all need that, that mom who will listen who will pray for us, who will teach us, who will show us how to live a godly life, who will set that example for us. And there are many of you in this room who have, are doing that and who have done that, and we want to encourage you, continue to do that. And I, I want to encourage you this morning, as I'm speaking, I know you're thinking of people, man, call them up. I know it's Mother's Day and you need to call your mom. Yes, call her, send her a card, uh, contact her. But here's the deal. There are also people who have impacted your life in other ways and been a mom to you in other ways. Call them. Write them. Lift them up in prayer today. Thank them for what they've done for you. And take and, and pay that forward by doing it for someone else. 
because we all need those moms in our lives. To, to close it out, we, we read of Paul here, and Paul only mentions his physical mom one time in the scriptures, in the book of Galatians. And, and he doesn't mention her any other times. And we, we don't know much about Paul's family. And there's a question of this, is when he converts, does he get disowned by his family? We, he, there's a very good possibility, and we don't know the answer to that. So what would have happened if he's in this, he's now a part of the family of God, and now ladies like Rufus's mom become his mother. And he becomes a father to guys like Timothy. And he becomes a father in the faith to others. And there are other leaders in the church, women leaders, who become mentors and, and mother figures to him. And, and here's what I do know is that there are uh, kids that are, maybe attend church here who come from a home life that would just make you like, man, you just... You, and, they, and maybe they don't have someone praying for them or someone listening to them or someone teaching them at home and that's no knock on their physical parents it just maybe that's just the reality and men when we become a part of the church we don't just have our fa physical family we now have access to the family of God Amen. and we have access to countless moms and dads and brothers and sisters who can step in and show us how to be more like Jesus even when our physical family maybe is unable to and so I, I just want to put that bug there and remind you that what you do is not insignificant, that the teaching you do in a Sunday school class or the mentoring you do or when you, uh, when you sit across the table from a kid and you listen to them and you genuinely care, like you may be the only person that they're getting that from. And who in your life that you can sort of think of needs you to be a mom or a dad? And they could say, like Paul said, man, they were, they were a mom to me. They, they were a dad to me. They, they were somebody who encouraged me and challenged me and listened to me and taught me and, and prayed for me.